Um, yeah, till July sounds like a bunch of bull. I'm sorry, but like it's a virus. I get it. Like I respect it, but at the same time, like even if everybody gets it, like yeah, people are gonna die. It's just terrible, but like inevitable. We're gonna touch on that in a second, but. Sup, you beautiful bastards. Hope you've had a fantastic Wednesday. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. And actually, a big announcement before we get started. You know, last week I announced to my team, Monday I informed you that things were changing. Where people would be working from home, certain other things off of this channel would have to be suspended, but you would actually see increased output here, which actually, as of this week right now, it looks like not only are you getting a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday show, but also a Friday and Sunday show. And in addition to that, today I am launching the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash a convo with clips. It's a clips and highlight channel for my podcast, A Conversation With, which unfortunately we had to suspend because we don't want people coming in. And it's kind of for everybody. One, if you're one of the almost around 250,000 people who subscribe to the podcast here on YouTube, you've probably missed episodes or maybe skipped certain episodes because you're like, I don't know if that person's gonna be interesting. And so what we're doing is going through the podcast, getting some of the best bits, the highlights, the clips, and then releasing them so you can watch them, you know, four to 12 minutes at a time. Or two, maybe you're someone that was like, I don't have an hour and a half to two and a half hours to listen to every single podcast. Or maybe just not into traditional podcasts. And so these are essentially just little four to 12 minute videos. And best of all, starting today, literally uploaded the videos just before this one. Every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, we will be releasing two clips on that channel. So right now, click the link in the description down below. Make sure you subscribe today. But with that said, this is the Philip DeFranco Show, so buckle up hit that like button and let's just jump into it. And actually, the first thing we're gonna talk about today is Vanessa Hudgens and that clip being in the news. So in the original clip that actually ends like this. Inevitable? I don't know, maybe I shouldn't be doing this right now. Vanessa Hudgens was commenting on the situation with the coronavirus and while this blew up Tuesday, this clip was actually taken from a Monday live stream of hers. And man, the backlash with this one was strong. You had people calling her horrible and heartless. People tweeting things like, I'm immunocompromised. If I get this, it could kill me. My life doesn't matter less because I'm not as rich as you or because my lungs aren't perfect. And in response to all this outrage, Hudgens issued the first of two apologies. In an Instagram story, she said this. I realized today that some of my comments are being taken out of context. Um, it's a crazy time. It's a crazy, crazy time. And I am at home and in lockdown and that's what I hope you guys are doing too in full quarantine and staying safe and sane um yeah I don't take the situation lightly by any means I am home so stay inside y'all right and that post was met with even more anger with people slamming the clip in general saying that she was focusing too much on herself or just asking you know how is this exactly taken out of context and ultimately we ended up seeing Hudgens issue an apology via the notes app writing hey guys I'm so sorry for the way I have offended anyone and everyone who has seen the clip from my Instagram live yesterday I realized my words were insensitive and not at all appropriate for the situation our country and the world are in right now this has been a huge wake-up call about the significance my words have now more than ever I'm sending safe wishes to everyone to stay safe and healthy during this crazy time and while following this you still had many people slamming Vanessa Hudgens you also had a number of people defending her. And among those others, you had the likes of Chrissy Teigen, who tweeted, sometimes people, especially famous people, are gonna say really stupid shit, and so are you, and they and you will learn from it, and hopefully their history says they're good. It's okay, and at the same time, wow, they really had a dumb fucking moment, but you don't have to ruin their lives. Adding, this isn't about me this time, but it will be one day, or it'll be you. But yeah, today, it's Vanessa, LOL. And adding, and no, life is rarely ruined for anyone, but you are damn well trying your best, just stop. With Teigen then replying to several people, including those who were criticizing the apology from Vanessa Hudson, 
Hudgens. Right, and in general here, hitting on the points of we should want people to learn, we should want people to grow, we are all essentially stupid at times. And then going on to say, what can I say? Kids and online torture have made me a much more empathetic person. May you never be on the end of everyone hating you. And adding, you are not gonna talk me into not forgiving people's mistakes. It makes me clear and makes me happy and I'm gonna be happy. You wanna be angry online all fucking day? Go for it. Right, and following this, you had a lot of Vanessa's fans agreeing with Tegan's perspective, noting that the actress has been staying home and has been very supportive of those impacted by the virus. In fact, before this scandal, Hudgens threw her support behind the organization Feeding America, donating money herself and encouraging others to do the same. Others compared this situation to Rudy Gobert. He's the NBA player who prompted the NBA shutdown when he tested positive for the virus after jokingly touching microphones at a press conference and reportedly acting careless around other players. Right, Rudy noted, I hurt people and got it wrong, right? He owned up to it. Right, and even going on to say, essentially, use me as the example for what not to do. But ultimately, that's where we are with this. I really would love to know your thoughts. Right, what do you think about that Vanessa Hudgens clip? Do you agree with the likes of Tegan or do you disagree? Why, why not? I'd love to know in those comments down below. And then uh, let's talk about the primary elections and the coronavirus. Right, so yesterday we saw major primaries being held in Florida, Arizona, and Illinois. And just like we've seen in the last few primaries, Biden was just cleaning up. As predicted, he won all three states by some pretty big margins. In Florida, he won 61.9% to Bernie's 22.8. Also winning by more than 20% in Illinois, leading by 10% in Arizona, where 88% of the precincts were reporting as of recording. Right, and so with these results, it brought up more questions about Bernie Sanders' future in this race. Right, and regarding that question this morning, we saw a spokesperson for Bernie say that he was going to assess his campaign. Also this morning, we saw Axios reporting that the Sanders campaign suspended their Facebook ads, and they are noting that Buttigieg and Bloomberg both did the same thing hours before they suspended their campaign. So that's the top level stuff, but I really wanna focus on another really big element of these primaries and all the primaries going forward. And that, of course, is the coronavirus. The big question heading into yesterday's primaries was how the just massive escalation of this situation over the last week would affect the elections. Or you even had Trump now saying that we should be social distancing, that there should not be gatherings of more than 10 people. But meanwhile, you essentially had these three states going, nah, it's okay. And they went ahead with the election. Anyway, though, uh, very notably, Ohio was also supposed to have their primary yesterday. But after a lot of legal back and forth, the governor postponed it at the very last minute. Though, uh, according to reports, that created some confusion and some people still turned up to vote. But still, in the other three states, you had a lot of people really upset that the elections were still being held and that in-person voting was still going to happen. With some people saying that these elections should be postponed, that it was unsafe, some even saying that it amounted to voter suppression. Meanwhile, you have these election officials in these three states saying that they will be taking extra precautions, sanitizing voting machines and other equipment, also providing hand sanitizer wipes and other products to voters, also officials encouraging people to vote by mail or vote early. Additionally, we saw them moving some of their polling precincts away from high-risk areas like assisted living facilities. Right, and so even with all that, there was this big question, how many people are actually going to show up? Right, how many people are you gonna have comfortable enough to sit in lines together, touch just the, some of the same things as other people? And what we ended up seeing is that while in-person voter turnout was pretty low across the board, in both Florida and Arizona, overall turnout was actually higher than in 2016. This though, mostly driven by early voting and mail-in ballots. Though, very notably in Maricopa County in Arizona, which includes Phoenix and about half of the state's registered Democrats, in-person turnout was actually higher than in 2016. This, despite the fact that reportedly around 80 polling stations were closed there. But uh, the same could not be said for Illinois, which had low voter turnout on all fronts. Especially in Cook County, which like Maricopa, includes the state's biggest city, Chicago, and about half the Democrat voters that cast ballots in the primary. There, according to reports, turnout was down more than 200,000 votes from 2016. But that wasn't the state's only issue. According to reports, there were a lot of precincts and election volunteers that canceled last minute, with one Chicago election spokesperson saying that they had to relocate about 50 polling places at the last minute. And so in addition to health concerns, there's just a lot of confusion. In fact, according to a senior counsel at Chicago Lawyers Committee for civil rights. They were fielding an unprecedented volume of calls from voters confused about where to vote or unsure whether they should leave their homes to cast ballots. And in some of those places, those who did cast ballots in person complained of waiting in long lines for hours in cramped conditions where they couldn't social distance. With some others reporting that precincts didn't have proper cleaning supply 
sanitizer sanitizers. And despite calls for more people to send in mail-in ballots, according to reports, the fact that polling stations were moved away from nursing homes where many residents vote made it so that it was too late for them to apply for a mail-in ballot, and public health protocols encouraging older people not to be in crowds made it hard for them to go vote in person. And all of that raises a question about mail-in ballots. Right, election officials all over the country are encouraging people to vote by mail amid this pandemic. But a lot of states have strict vote-by-mail laws. Some states require people to apply a certain amount of time ahead of the election, like in Illinois, while others have really specific restrictions on who can vote by mail. Like New York, for example, which only lets people cast absentee ballots for six very specific reasons, none of which includes a public health emergency. And so with all of this, especially because we do not know how long this will last, there's been a call to overhaul the vote-by-mail system. And actually, yesterday we saw the head of the DNC, Tom Perez, hit on this, saying, as our country deals with the uncertainty of COVID-19, it is critical that states provide clarity and not confusion, which could lead to disenfranchising voters. Also encouraging states to make vote-by-mail available to all registered voters and expand no-excuse voting, and saying where in-person voting can still take place under public health guidelines, states should expand days and hours of early voting to reduce lines. But there are also hurdles to that. As Matt Blaze, an election security expert and computer science professor at Georgetown Law School explains, rolling something as complex as this out at large scale introduces thousands of small problems, some of which are security problems, some of which are reliability problems, some of which are resource management problems that only become apparent when you do it. And while a big overhaul like that might be really difficult, at the state level, there has been some movement at the federal level. In fact, last week, Amy Klobuchar proposed a bill that would expand both vote by mail and early voting nationally, as well as open up federal funds to states to implement those practices. But ultimately, uh, that's pretty much where we are right now. It's gonna be very interesting and concerning to see how these primaries and how just voting in general moves forward. I mean, so far you have five states delaying their primaries to later. You still have the Democratic convention scheduled for July, though it's unclear what's gonna happen with that. And of course, you have the big one in November. What are, what are the state of affairs gonna be at that time? It's interesting, concerning times. What are your thoughts regarding this voting situation? It's somewhat easier when we're talking about the primaries, though not completely. Right? When people are talking about the primaries, they're often talking about, you know, Bernie versus Biden. But it's important not to forget that both Democrats and Republicans are voting on other important things, right? things that affect them on a more local level. Right, so what are your thoughts regarding opening up mail-in voting? What are your thoughts about the people going in person still at this time? I'd really love to hear from you, especially if you've been in one of these recent primary states. And then finally, let's talk about the coronavirus, President Trump, his exchange with governors, and actually what is happening right now. Right, so yesterday we saw this exchange between Trump and Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Trump tweeting, failing Michigan governor must work harder and must be more proactive. We are pushing her to get the job done. I stand with Michigan. And about an hour later, Whitmer responded, now that I've got your attention, Mr. President, attack tweets won't solve this crisis, but swift and clear guidance tests, personal protective equipment, and resources would. FYI, here's what I've done so far. Whitmer then going on to list steps she's taken in Michigan, including insured Medicaid waiver for co-pays and cost sharing for testing, declared a state of emergency, closed all K-12 schools, restricted entry into care facilities and juvenile justice facilities, enhanced restrictions on price gouging, expanded unemployment benefits. And Whitmer then going on to tell the New York Times, ironically, he made my point that the federal government is not taking this as seriously as they need to, and also saying that Trump has been, quote, watching TV. Right? And so all of that happened after Trump held a conference call on Monday with governors from all over the country. And on that, you had multiple governors reportedly asking for more federal support. But according to the New York Times, Trump then told them, quote, respirators, ventilators, all of the equipment, try getting it yourselves. We will be backing you, but try getting it yourself. Point of sales, much better, much more direct if you can get it yourself. Right? And with that, it seemed that a lot of governors were not happy with that answer. You had New Mexico Governor Lujan Grisham reportedly telling Trump in that call, if one state doesn't get the resources and materials they need, the entire nation continues to be at risk. Also saying, that the federal government was impeding states' abilities to respond to the virus, as well as creating a situation where states were competing against one another for the needed products. Yesterday, you also had Whitmer going on TV and saying, To hear the leader of the federal government tell us to work around the federal government because it's too too slow is just, 
it's kind of mind-boggling, to be honest. We are pulling out all the stops here in Michigan. But we need the federal government to work. We need respirators and ventilators and personal protection equipment. We need more test kits and the resources to process those test kits. But of course, I do want to mention that Trump did have some support here, that coming in the form of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who said that Trump was telling them to, quote, cut out the federal bureaucracy and potentially get it quicker, arguing what he was saying was sensible. However, and this is a really big, however, this all seems to be a part of a much larger picture that's been happening since the outbreak really gained a foothold here in the United States. I mean, you have a lot of other governors who have been clashing with the federal government trying to get support, many of them frustrated. One of the bigger battles we've seen is with New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. After that conference call, Cuomo told reporters that the federal government had been behind from day one of this crisis, calling the administration's response inexcusable, which is likely why we saw later that afternoon Trump saying on Twitter, Cuomo of New York has to, quote, do more. Cuomo then responding back, I have to do more? No, you have to do something. You're supposed to be the president. Trump then taking another swing at Cuomo yesterday, telling Cuomo to, quote, keep politics out of it, but right now, it at least appears that Trump and Cuomo are trying to work together. Right? Because after that exchange, we saw Cuomo saying he put his hand out in partnership, telling reporters there's no time for hyperpartisan politicking right now, adding the president is doing the right thing and offering to step up with New York, and I appreciate it. In turn, Trump responded, saying we had a really good talk this morning. We are both doing a really good job. Now, before moving forward into what we're seeing actually happen on the ground, I, I do want to touch on one thing regarding what is being said, because I greatly believe the actions that are taking place today that we're going to see in the coming weeks and months, that is the most important thing. But I also can't just do that while you have a president of the United States that seemingly wants to gaslight the nation. Right, yesterday, Trump said this. I've always known this is a, this is a real, this is a pandemic. I felt it was a pandemic long before it was called a pandemic. But Trump isn't telling the truth here, and we know that for the number of times he knowingly said on camera otherwise. And the recount did actually a pretty great job of consolidating a number of those clips. Coming in from China. We think we have it very well under control. We pretty much shut it down coming in from China. You know, in April, supposedly it dies with the hotter weather. When it gets warm, uh, historically, that has been able to kill the virus. People are getting better. They're all getting better. And the 15 within a couple of days is going to be down to close to zero. It's going to disappear. One day it's like a miracle. It will disappear and you'll be fine. Right, just the consistent downplaying of the situation until the pivot, which once again, I am happy to see over the past few days. But I point this out because once again, one of the main criticisms of this president is he did not move fast enough that the heads up, the head start that we got was wasted. And we'll never fully know how much smaller this could have been if we moved on things sooner and explained to the American public faster from the top down what a big deal this could be. I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm happy to see that someone called 911. We really need to wonder and remember why it took so long to get the phone out. Right? And that's why you have people like Maryland Governor Larry Hogan saying of the president's recent switch, his messaging sounds a lot more like the way I've been talking and some of my colleagues have been talking about it for weeks. But with all of that said, yesterday we did see Trump finally making a commitment to the states. This by starting to enlist a lot more government agencies, even though the White House has been calling this for a while now a whole government response. Of course, that's despite the fact that states feel otherwise. That of course, after the situation with ventilators, but also after the mayor of Seattle, which is one of the hardest hit areas, asked for mass tents to rapidly build shelters. And also after New York State pleaded with the Army Corps of Engineers to quickly build hospitals. And actually, as of last night, the Army Corps of Engineers said that it will work with New York to find more hospital beds. We've also seen Defense Secretary Mark Esper say that the Pentagon will give up to 5 million masks to protect healthcare workers and vulnerable people. Also saying that the first million would be made available immediately. And while it is expected to fall way short of the number needed, the Pentagon also said that it made available 2,000 ventilators for hospitals 
hospitals. We also saw New Mexico Governor Grisham say that Pence had pledged to work with her to increase New Mexico's supply needs. Also, Washington Governor Jay Inslee saying he now expects the Department of Defense to help provide resources that could help bolster new medical hospitals. Additionally, we saw the big news this morning that Trump announced he's invoking the Defense Production Act. Now that, notably, is a Korean War era law, and what it does is it allows the private sector to ramp up production and distribution of emergency supplies and equipment like masks, ventilators, and respirators. Alongside that, Trump then dispatched two military hospital ships to New York City and the West Coast. Though, notably, according to reports, one of those ships probably won't be deployed for at least another couple weeks. Trump also saying that he's activating FEMA at level one, which is its highest level. We're also seeing that housing and urban development has been told to suspend all foreclosures and evictions until the end of April. Health and Human Services is suspending regulations that prevent medical professionals from practicing across state lines. Also calling for the nation to postpone all elective medical procedures. Additionally, regarding changes at the border, we saw Trump say this morning, we will be by mutual consent temporarily closing our northern border with Canada to non-essential traffic. Trade will not be affected. Details to follow. Also, as we were filming today, we got the news that the Senate has passed a two-week paid sick leave bill. And notably, the House also passed that bill earlier this week, and Trump is expected to sign it. Also, very notably, the White House is asking Congress for $1 trillion. This for their coronavirus relief and economic stimulus plan. And this reportedly would be for individuals as well as specific industries. $500 billion would be for individual Americans. This, according to a report on Axios, would be done with two separate checks of equal amounts, one on April 6th, one on May 18th. And the specific dollar amounts there would be means tested, meaning it would be based on income level and family size. $50 billion would be for the airline industry. Reportedly, this would take the form of secured loans to passenger and cargo air carriers. With this, limits would be placed on executive pay increases until the loans were repaid. $300 billion for this would go to small business interruption loans. Here, reportedly, employers with 500 employees or fewer would be eligible. And they'd have to keep paying all their workers for eight weeks from the date of the loan, with the government guaranteeing 100% of six weeks of payroll capped at $1,540 per week per employee. The other $150 billion would be used for other affected industries. But ultimately, that's where we are with this ever-developing story. And, and of course, I, I'd love to know your thoughts on this $1 trillion proposal. I'd love to know your thoughts regarding the governors, what we're seeing on the ground, what was said before compared to now. If I can end on a, a non-newsy note for the, the three people still here at the end of the video, especially for those concerned, have you have you found yourself for like just a moment forgetting that we're living in these times? Like last night I was watching the third to last episode of season two of I'm Sorry. I don't know why I'm giving you that much information. <laughs> but then you get that little timer and it's like, hey, the next episode's gonna be on in 20 seconds. And then during that 20 seconds, I had that sobering moment of like, oh, that's right. There's that weight I forgot we were all feeling. I don't know, crazy times, but that is where I'm going to end today's show. As always, of course, I appreciate you for being here. Also, if you like this video, hit us with a like. If you're new here, definitely subscribe to make sure you don't miss these daily weekday videos. Also, if you're looking for more to watch right now, you can definitely check out those brand new clips that I just uploaded. The first ones are with Casey Neistat. Or maybe dismiss yesterday's Philip DeFranco show you wanna catch up. I mean, there's a lot to stay up to date on. You can click to tap right there to watch either of those. But of course, as always, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love your faces. We are in this together and I will see you tomorrow. I hope you liked the video. Subscribe if you like it.